kicking off this uh, morning, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 21 to verse 22. Just a little bit of a recap on a sermon that I preached a couple weeks ago um, that the title was Rethinking the Mission. If you haven't listened to it, you, you weren't here for this, that Sunday, then please, um, please go and uh, check it out online because it's going to be really important for our DNA as a church. Um, but Ephesians chapter 2, verse 21 to verse 22, we got the text, there's awesome. Um, I'm just going to read this out and then I'm going to go for just a quick recap from that sermon and then we'll um, shift into what we're focusing on this morning. So in Him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. So just a couple of key points from that sermon is that firstly, God has always desired to dwell with His people. So you open up to the very first page of the Bible, you see that God created this garden where He was walking in the midst of His people, dwelling with them. You go to the very last page of the Bible, you see it's a garden city where once again the people of God are dwelling in His presence. So there you can see the heart of God. From beginning to end, God's desire has always uh, been to dwell with His people. He wants to be with us. We also saw in that sermon that where His presence is, there is life, and so we can't afford to live without His presence. So we looked at Moses, when God was sending Moses into the promised land, um, um, and given him all this inc- incredible um, promises of what he's going to do about this land flowing with milk and honey, that they're going to be prosperous, that they're going to um, have a land that they can call their own, they won't have to be slaves anymore, that God will go and he'll defeat all their, their enemies for them. All these incredible promises that God gives to them. But Moses says to the Lord that unless you go with us, God, we don't, we don't want to go. And so you see in that, in that, that statement there that um, where the presence of God is, there is life, and so we can't afford to go without the presence of God. It doesn't matter how good the blessings are if God doesn't come with us. We also saw that um, we as God's church are His royal priesthood, and so it is our responsibility to host the presence of God. I emphasize that we all essentially know what it means to be a good host, is that when you have someone over your house, you want to create a space for them that is nice for them to be in. It's pleasing for them to be there. Um, I um, unfortunately um, dobbed in um, our family in that message to say that when you come over our house, um, that's not what our house looks like all the time. Sorry, and I know it's probably true for your house as well. That's not what your house looks like all the time either when people come over. It's because you know what it means to host. You want to create a space where it's pleasing for people to be. And so when God says that we are His royal priesthood, what He's saying is that we are people that He has called to host His presence. So just like the priests in the Old Testament would um, go into the dwelling place of God and they would be tasked with hosting the presence of God through the sacrifices and through the prayers and through the worship and through keeping themselves clean, so we as God's royal priesthood are called to host His presence as His church. So um, that's, that's, that's our assignment. Then we also saw that reigning over the earth begins with living as priests. So we won't see the glory of God transform our worlds unless we begin by preparing a dwelling place for Him. So where does the mission begin for us? Does the mission begin with really good evangelism? Well, really good evangelism is really important, but that's not where the mission begins. Does the mission begin with awesome mercy ministries where we're clothing those that are naked and feeding those that don't have anything to eat? Is that where the mission begins? No, it's not. That is a really, really good thing to be doing. We should be doing it, but that's not where the mission begins. The mission begins with making a dwelling place for God. When you host the presence of God well, all of a sudden the evangelism and the mercy ministries and the teaching and the pastoring and you running your business and you being a great mom or a great dad, all those things come to life. 
And so if you don't host the presence of God well, and you try to evangelize and do mercy ministries and be a great parent, you're going to find yourself working your finger to the bone with not much fruit coming about as a result. But if you prioritize the presence first and foremost and, and host God very diligently, then all those other things come to life, and it's absolutely beautiful. And so we begin by reigning with God over our assignment in hosting His presence. So God has called us to be like kings and queens, reigning with Him and ruling over these assignments that He's instructed to us, whether it be evangelism or mercy ministries or being a parent, whatever it is. That reigning begins with standing before Him as a priest. And so that was what that um, sermon was all about, rethinking the mission of, of God. And so um, today what I want to do is go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, through to chapter 7, verse 1. And, um, and uh, that, um, what we just recapped on briefly, is going to tie into this for us today. So 2 Corinthians chapter 6, reading from verse 14, and reading from the Christian Standard Bible. It says, Do not be yoked together with those who do not believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What agreement does Christ have with Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will dwell and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch any unclean thing and I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Chapter 7, verse 1. So then, dear friends, since we have these promises... Let us cleanse ourselves from every impurity of the flesh and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So we are the temple of God. So get this. We are the kings that reign with God. We are the priests that serve Him in the temple. And we are the temple. All these things come together in us as the church. And the essential point that Paul is making, he's saying that since you are the temple of God and you are a people that have been set apart to Him, just as the temple was set apart to God, you can't be... Um, allowing yourself to becoming unclean by the things of this world. And so he makes this point here for us. He says, um, what agreement, or reading from um, verse 14, do, do not be yoked with those who do not believe. What partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? What agreement does Christ have with Belial? And he goes on and lists these things and says that the light and the darkness can't be associating with one another. So since you are a temple, you must be keeping yourself set apart for God. And this is where that word consecration comes in consecration. It's a word that we throw around a lot in Christian circles. You know, you know we um, tend to have these words that we use all the time over and over again, but quite often people don't actually know what they're really specifically talking about when they, when they, when they use it. Well, consecration basically has, has two elements to it. The first element is that you are setting yourself apart from that which is unclean. Pretty straightforward. You're keeping yourself away from the bad thing. And then there's the second element of it is where you're committing yourself, you're dedicating yourself, you're setting yourself apart to that which is good. And so when it comes to God, when we consecrate ourselves to God, we're saying, well, we're setting ourselves apart from everything that is contrary to God, everything that is against God, everything that is of this world. That's what the Bible talks about when it says world. And what are we doing positively? We are committing ourselves to Him, to obey Him, to live for Him, to love Him, to be with Him. And so when the Bible calls us to be separate and to be consecrated, this is what it's inviting us into. But I need you to notice here that this call to consecrate yourself comes with the most unspeakably, incredible, mind-blowingly awesome promises. Because Paul says that if we consecrate ourselves to Him in this way, 
we are promised, verse 16, that we will dwell with Him. Then we are promised that we will walk with Him. Then we are promised that we will be His people. That's all in verse 16. Then verse 18 says that we will be welcomed by Him and we will experience Him as a Father. It sounds pretty awesome, doesn't it? That we'll get to dwell with Him, we'll get to walk with Him, we'll get to be called His people, we'll get to experience Him as a Father. And He says that all these things will be yours if you set yourself apart from the world. If you consecrate yourself to me, all these blessings will be yours. So if you look at the promises that are on offer, just how good they are, then all of a sudden we start to discover that consecration is really, really important. This is not an insignificant thing. This is not something that we can be haphazard about. This is not something that we can sort of just tack onto our lives a little bit and, and give a little bit of attention on a Sunday morning. That's not what this is. If God is saying, hey, I will dwell with you and I will walk with you and I will call you my son and my daughter, if you consecrate yourself, it shows you that this thing has some weightiness to it. This can't just be a tack on to my life. Everything about me, my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength, my body, everything needs to be set apart to Him so that I can experience Him and know Him and walk with Him. So this idea of consecration, it has been, God has been trying to, to um, drum this idea into His people all throughout the Bible. All throughout the Bible, you see God trying to get this message across to His people. We see all sorts of things being spoken of as being consecrated. You've got animals being consecrated, like when they were being sacrificed. So you had to bring an animal in that, that, that couldn't have any blemish on him, couldn't have any um, spot, and he couldn't have a bung leg or a bung eye or, or something like that. You had to bring in a clean animal before the Lord, and then you had to dedicate it to the Lord in a sacrifice. You see it with um, the objects that were being used in the tabernacle and the temple. There were all sorts of instruments that they were using, like, candlesticks and special shovels on the altar that they would use to shovel out, shovel out the burnt animals and all sorts of things that had to be very specifically and intentionally dedicated to the Lord. You couldn't get old mate's shovel from next door to the tabernacle and bring that over into God's place and start using that on the altar. You'd get in some serious trouble from the Lord if you did something like that. We see that there was um, um, the spaces that were specially set apart to the Lord, like Mount Sinai. When God shows up on Mount Sinai in thunder and in cloud and in smoke and in fire and He declares the Ten Commandments and gives the law to the people, God makes it very, very clear that no one except for those that He gives permission is allowed to set foot on this mountain. As His presence dwells there in all of its glory and in all of its holiness and all of its majesty and beauty, He says that no one can come onto this mountain unless I have given them specific permission. And so you see Moses is able to go up and the elders are able to go up, but even so they have to consecrate themselves. And then the people, when they go and stand out in front of the mountain to hear God declare the, the Ten Commandments, they all have to be consecrated as well. They have to go and wash themselves and the husbands and wives weren't allowed to have sexual relations for a certain period of time. All as an act of setting themselves apart to the Lord. So you see that with Mount Sinai, we see, we see with the tabernacle, we see with the temple that God consecrates space as well for him. And then of course you see it with the people of God. I just mentioned the story of how the people had to consecrate themselves before God announced the Ten Commandments. But you see the exact same thing before God actually um, lets them go into the promised land. 
with Joshua. Joshua goes to the people and says, hey, we're going into the promised land very soon. What I need all of you to do is to go and consecrate yourself to the Lord. He says, and then we will see the great and mighty things that the Lord will do. Now, just as a little side tangent, a little segue here, I absolutely believe that's where the church finds itself in in this very season right this moment. That's why I think God is putting such weightiness on this call to consecrate ourselves to Him. We are like the people of God standing on the edge of the river, staring over the Jordan River into the promised land at these new things that God is about to do within His church. And it's so exciting. So many blessings abound for us in this new thing that God is calling us into. But just like Joshua told the people, consecrate yourself to the Lord and then you will see the great things that the Lord will do. God is saying the same thing to us in the season. Consecrate yourself to me. Set me up in your life as your first love. Leave behind the unclean thing, the impure thing. Leave behind the half-hearted religion and the, this lukewarm religiosity that you've been walking in for so long. Leave that stuff behind. And set your gaze on me. Set your focus on me. Consecrate yourself to me. As we do that, we're going to see the Lord do some incredible things. So consecration has always mattered to God. Psalm 24, verse 3 to verse 6. I'm going to read this out for you. I absolutely love this psalm. It's one of my favorites. It says, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in His holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not appealed to what is false, who has not sworn deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generations of those who inquire of him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. So the question is, will we be a people like that? We want to ascend the hill of the Lord, don't we? We want to behold His glory. There's, there's nothing else that is equal to that. You know, tasting His goodness. There's nothing in all the world that could ever come close to that experience. Having your life transformed by Him so that you're no longer enslaved to sin. These things come when you ascend the hill of the Lord, when you're in His presence. And so who may ascend the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and he who has a pure heart. So this morning, I want to put it to you. Are you going to respond to the call of God to set yourself apart for him? And I'm not just talking about these 21 days of worship. I'm not expecting you to be here every single night, even though that would be awesome. That's not what I'm expecting. This is not what all of this is essentially about. It's about your heart and the heart of God. It's about you in sincerity and purity before Him, knowing that you've actually been set apart to Him. Let's just take a bit of time just to pray on that. I'd love for you just to, just to close your eyes, just to go before the Lord. No point waiting till the end of the sermon. Take a bit of time just between yourself and the Lord.
Lord Jesus, above everything, you are the one that we worship. Above all the riches, Lord, above all the earthly delights, above every accomplishment, any status that we could gain, Lord, you are the one that we worship. Lord, to ascend your hill, to be with you, Lord, to know you, to gaze upon your beauty, Lord, this is the one thing that we desire above everything else. God, we ask that you would give us clean hands and pure hearts. Make us the sort of people that can ascend your hill, Lord. Make us that dwelling place, that temple that you would be pleased to manifest the fullness of your glory within. Make us a priesthood, Lord, that are careful to follow your statutes, that are careful to delight your heart. Make us a people that know your love, Lord, and that are able to respond to it appropriately. We invite you, Jesus, to come and to do this work in our lives. Amen. So, um, so if we think about it then, you guys, could you throw up that slide that I, um, I put that first slide there? So if we think about the relationship between these two, you can see that consecration leads to presence. Pretty straightforward. Um, as we set ourselves apart to Him, we become as a dwelling place for Him and He delights to showcase Himself in our midst. But I can imagine that for some of you, you see that, you know, well, how does that, how does that square with the Christian message? Because right now it sounds like you're preaching something that's very works-based. Um, that there's something you've got to do or something to, um, to earn something from, from, from God. Um, how, does, how does grace fit in with, um, with, with all of this? Because, you know, at the end of the day, the one thing that separates Christianity from all the other religions in the world is that all the other religions are saying you've got to earn favor with God. You've got to do this and do that. And and give these sacrifices, and pray these prayers, and go to this temple, and bow down to this God, and then you will earn favor, and they will bless you. Or how is what you're saying, Tianus, any different to um, what those other religions will say? Well, in order to answer, I want you to consider what happens in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 to verse 4. You can open up your Bibles to there, or it'll be up on the screen. Isaiah chapter 6, verse, verse 1 to verse 4. question is, how does this message of consecration leading to presence square with the gospel? So Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 to verse 14. So in the year the king Isaiah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called out to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorway shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, and because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. 
Then one of the seraphim flew to me, seraphim flew to me, and in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your iniquity is removed and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord asking, Who will I send? Who will go for us? I said, Here I am, send me. So Isaiah has this incredible throne room encounter with God where he witnesses these spiritual beings circling the throne of God and at the top of their lungs declaring, holy, holy, holy. The song of the ages is being sung on repeat over and over and over again. Essentially what they're saying is that there is no one like you. There is no one like you. There is no one like you. Over and over again. And Isaiah has this experience where he's witnessing this worship taking place. And the first thing that happens to Isaiah as he witnesses all of this taking place is that he suddenly becomes so incredibly aware of his sinfulness in comparison to this holy God. And not just his sinfulness, but the sinfulness of the people that he's living with. He's saying, he he cries out to God and he says, woe is me for I am ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips. I live amongst a people of unclean lips because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. So he's so aware that that hill of the Lord is incredibly high, so to speak. He's seeing the holiness of God, the glory of God, the goodness of God, the beauty of God, the majesty of God. He says, there's no way that I'm reaching that. The gap between us is infinite. It's just, it's just that big. There's no way I could actually ascend to the purity of God so that I, am, uh, that I will be fit to dwell in His presence. Now, that's where... The story of other religions stop. It's just that message. I'm not good enough to appease this God, so I'm just going to keep on trying and keep on trying and keep on trying and keep on trying. But the message of Christianity, the gospel, is, doesn't stop there. Because what happens next in the story is that then one of the seraphim flew to me, and in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth, and with it said, um, now that this has touched your lips, your iniquity is removed and your sin is atoned for. It's this incredible symbolism. This coal that comes from this holy altar of God that the seraphim takes. He takes it down to Isaiah. He touches his lips with it. And then he declares over him that his sin has been atoned for, that he has been forgiven. That Isaiah has been purified, that he's been made right, that he's been cleansed so that he can stand in the presence of God. And then off the back of that declaration, suddenly Isaiah has this confidence so that when God says, who can I use? Who can I send? Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, send me. A moment ago, he was saying, woe is me. I am undone. I cannot ascend this hill. I cannot be in his presence. But then what does God do? God stoops to meet him where he is at, in his sin, in his iniquity, in his filth, in his uncleanliness, he meets him right there. He touches him and he makes him clean. So that now Isaiah can stand in his presence. And not just stand in his presence, but carry his presence to the ends of the earth to fulfill the mission. That's the message of Christianity. And that's exactly what we see in the life of Jesus. we go to that next slide, Des. So how does this work? Consecration leading to presence. Well, grace 
leads to consecration, and consecration leads to presence. That's what you see in the story of Isaiah. The, re- the response of, uh, for, for us when we hear the call to consecration should not be, I'm going to work this up in my own effort. I'm going to strive in my own strength. I'm just going to somehow try to appease God. That's not the right response. The right response is surrender. God, I know that I'm not good enough. God, I know that I'm sinful. I know that I fall short, but you're a God of grace. You're a God of love. You're a God of mercy, and you can make me clean. That's the response that when you yield your life to God like that, when you fall into the arms of mercy, the arms of love, the arms of grace, and you just surrender to them, God takes you with all your brokenness and all your hurt and all your pain. He restores you. He consecrates you. He makes you right. And then He floods you with His presence. You see this in the life of Jesus. What does Jesus do with the leper? This unclean leper that according to Levitical law needs to be kept separate from the rest of society. What does Jesus do with the leper? Does he run from the leper? Does he flee from the leper? Does he hide from the leper? Does he keep the leper ostracized in his own little society? Jesus goes and finds the leper. And he touches the leper. And he makes the leper clean and he tells the leper, go up to the temple. Go to the presence. Go and show the priest how clean you are. What does Jesus do with the sinners? Does he hide from them? Does he run away from them? Does he rebuke them? Does he push them away? No, he goes and spends all his time with them. He throws dinner parties and invites all the tax collectors and the prostitutes and those that are rejected by society. He brings those sinners in so that they might be touched by that coal from the altar and be made clean. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 to verse 14. For Christ has appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come. In the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. He entered the most holy place once for all time, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. For of the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow, Sprinkling those who are defiled, sanctify for the purification of the flesh. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciences from dead works so that we can serve the living God. It's just so good. (laughs) The blood of Jesus can cleanse our consciences from dead work so that we can serve the living God. We are all like Isaiah, unfit to be in his presence, not consecrated. And then Jesus comes and dies on the cross, sheds his blood for us, so that by that sacrifice we could be cleansed. 
that your hands could actually be made clean. Your heart could actually be made pure. You could be set free from your deceit. You don't have to be enslaved to your pride anymore. You don't have to be living for the approval of men anymore. All those things could be washed away. You could be made clean. The blood of Jesus will meet you right where you are at with all of your mess. If you would just surrender and yield to him. And then he will consecrate you and make you a dwelling place fit for the glory of the God of heaven and earth. So I invite you. If you want more of God, surrender your life to Him. Surrender to Him all the pain, all the brokenness, all the hurt. And watch Him come with His grace and with His love and transform your life. me pray again. Sorry, I don't normally do this, but Jesus, this is what we want. We ask God that you would come with your grace. Lord, just like when that coal touched Isaiah, his sin was atoned for and his sin was forgiven. Lord, come to us, we pray. And make us clean, Lord. Like you cleansed the lepers, Lord, make us clean. Like you healed the sick, Lord, heal us. Lord, we come to you knowing that you are the God of compassion and kindness. You're the God of mercy and love. Lord, you've shown us on the cross the depth of your grace. How far you are willing to go, Lord, in order to redeem us and make us your own. And so, Lord, this morning we just welcome you to come and to do what only you can do. Our lives belong to you, Lord. Amen. So then jumping back to Ephesians chapter 2, the very first passage that we read. We understand now the presence comes through consecration, consecration comes through grace. Just as we're thinking about what God is doing here in, um, in our temple, um, that is made up of us as individuals, um, what, do we, what do we need to do? Well, Ephesians 2, verse 21 to verse 22, it says, In Him the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him... You're also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. I want to emphasize that we are being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. 
What this means is that consecration is never an indiv- just an individual thing. It doesn't stop there. Absolutely, it matters incredibly between you and the Lord, but it also matters what's going on with your brother and sister next to you. And so if we as a people say, God, we want to encounter you in all of your fullness, then it's actually not enough for you to just pursue him in that way by yourself. It says that we are being built together to become this dwelling place for God. So that means that encountering the glory of God and seeing it in all of its fullness is absolutely a community effort. It's 100% a community effort. That we together as God's people need to work together to keep ourselves pure from the things of the world. Together. We're working at this thing together. That's why Paul warns so strictly about tolerating sexual immorality in your midst and tolerating greed in your midst and things like this. He says, because a little bit of leaven will end up leavening the whole lump. If you allow that little bit of uncleanness to be tolerated in your midst and the uncleanness spreads throughout the church and you all end up being hindered by it. So as a community, we are together working with one another to not be stained by the things of this world. But it's not just that. It's the positive as well, remember, because consecration is more than just staying away from what's bad. It's also being intentional to give ourselves over to what is good. And so we are intentional about building one another up, about blessing one another, about encouraging one another, about taking one another to the prayer meetings and the worship gatherings and being in one another's homes and serving each other and all these sorts of things. We are being intentional to build this dwelling place so that we can experience more of the glory of God. Had this awesome experience recently. So um, I hope Pat doesn't mind me sharing some one of, one of his dreams. I'm just going to start sharing Pat's dreams for him. Um, and he, has, he had this awesome dream one night. Um, it was really significant because a bunch of really um, cool messages that God gave to him in a single night. It was a single night, right, that you had those three dreams? Oh, yeah, good point. Good point. We were entering into the promised land and about the community, and then there was the honey dream. and the, Was that all one night? Yeah, so here this one night where God was giving us all these, like, uh, giving Pat these really awesome pictures of what's to come in the life of the church. And there was one dream when there was, like, honey flowing through the church here, and another dream where it was, like, explosion of, of cream throughout the church here, um, thinking in reference to, like, milk and honey. Um, but then there was a third dream that same night where um, we were walking into what seemed like the promised land, and the sun was setting behind us, and I turned to Pat and said to him that community is really important. And so this was going back a couple of months now. And um, so I said to him, like, oh, it's really interesting that God's emphasizing that community is really important. We wonder what's coming. So then um, I catch up with a friend. And um, I'm chatting with this friend. And he was a part of a church community that experienced some pretty awesome things in the spirit. That God was moving really, really powerfully. And we're talking with him about the importance of um, intimacy and um, how God's been teaching us so much about prioritizing intimacy with him. And he made this really interest, interesting point that stood out to me. It's one of those points, you know, when someone's speaking, you know the spirit's behind it because it just strikes your heart straight away. He said something of the sort to me like, yeah, absolutely, intimacy with God is so important. But we discovered as well in that time when God was really moving that intimacy with one another matters as well. That you can't just pursue intimacy vertically without also pursuing intimacy with, with, with one another. And um, I was like, oh my goodness, this is the community's really important stuff that, that God has spoken to Pat in his dream. And then the very, it was the very same day, I think, Pat had actually had this revelation while reading in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I think it is, 
where it talks about how we go from one degree of glory to the um, next as we behold the glory of God. Now, I've preached that so many times, that, that concept of you would go from one degree of glory to the next as we behold the glory of God. 100% true. The more you see His beauty, the more you come like the beauty what you behold. But that's not where the passage finishes. It says that we go from one degree of glory to the next as we behold the glory of God on the faces of one another. It says, as you see the glory of God on the face of the person that you're in church with, your brothers and sisters, as you see Jesus in them, you get to know Jesus more that actually takes the whole community further in glory. How awesome is that? So this temple being built, us being transformed into a dwelling place is a community project. We are together needing to give ourselves over in consecration to God. And the more we as God's people together do that, we get to experience more of who He is. And of course, the overflow of that is lives being transformed, our world being transformed, with people being saved and being set free from addictions and being set free from sin and all those things. A beautified bride is the most powerful force on the face of the earth. Because a beautified bride is fit to reign with her king. And all the power of her king becomes hers. Awesome. So music team, if you can come back up. That'd be great. You can all please stand. So God wants to dwell with you. God wants to dwell with us. God's delight is to delight us. He wants us to know Him. He wants us to enjoy Him. That's His desire for us as His people. And so He gives us that invitation. He says, will you yield to my grace? Will you surrender to me so that I can consecrate you, that you might be fit to experience my goodness? So Father, we... We look to you, and firstly, Lord, I mean, I've prayed a couple times already, but I just want to thank you so much that you are the God that wants to dwell with us, that you are Emmanuel. Lord, that you see us as we are in all of our brokenness, in all of our mess. You see us in all of our wanderings, all the idols that we've built. yet you still pursue us. Your love is relentless. It doesn't give up on us. Lord, we thank you so much for that. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you, God, that by the sacrifice of his blood, we can be made clean. That that entry is opened up for us into the holies of holies, that we can stand before your throne of grace. Thank you, God. Receive from us our heartfelt gratitude this morning. Lord, we ask you to keep your work of consecrating us. Help us to perfect holiness in the fear of the Lord. 
you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to encourage you just during this time as the, um, as the music team leads us in another song, just to go before the Lord from your own heart and just tell Him that you want to surrender to Him. Don't be scared to give Him your pain, your hurt, and your sin. He wants to take those things from you and cleanse you. The most amazing thing happens when you do that. He always meets you right where you're at. He begins that incredible work of transforming you. So if that's you, don't miss this opportunity to go before the Lord right now and surrender to Him. So Holy Spirit, we just ask that, Lord, those that are here this morning that need to respond to this call, that you would just touch their hearts. Pray that they would sense you wooing them and calling them by name and to receive life, that life that can only be found in you, Lord.